0: When I was a kid, I grew up in church, and every spring as Easter was approaching, uh, we would commit ourselves to reading through the story of Jesus in the Gospels, kind of leading up to his death and his resurrection. And because we were a devout church family, we went to Sunday school, and we were in church on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, and my grandparents were the janitors at the church, so we weren't only there when the doors were open, we were there when the doors were closed, uh, because we just were at church all of the time. And so church was a big part of our lives, and so we would read these scriptures because they were central to our faith. I went to a Christian school, K-12, through so we read the scriptures there too, and so these stories kind of became really, really familiar to me. As I heard the stories of Jesus' death and his resurrection, there were some statements that kind of stuck out to me. I'm not exactly sure why these stuck out to me, but they did. I think maybe it's because the Bible that I had put these statements in red letters, seven statements that Jesus made while he was hanging on the cross. For example, he says, as he's hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then, as he was uh, looking at the person hanging on the cross next to him, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then he talks to his mother says, mother, this is your son, and to his disciple, behold, your mother. And then he talks to his father, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he talks to the guards who are around the the base of the cross, and he says, I'm thirsty. And then he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then finally he says, it is finished. Now, those are seven important statements that Jesus makes, but it's the first one that rubs me the wrong way. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. When I read that, I think to myself, what? Come on, Jesus. Be like a Marvel superhero and come down off the cross and show those people who's boss. Call on 10,000 angels and come down as the ultimate avengers and destroy those people. Put them in their place. You're the Son of God and you have all power and all might, and you can do whatever you want to do to those people. When I see Jesus hanging on the cross, I don't want Him to forgive those people, I want Him to get those people. Don't you have those kind of feelings too? Now, I might want to make this a little more spiritual for us this morning. So let me just say that I want Jesus to to administer justice in this situation. Sounds a little more spiritual, doesn't it? See, you have to understand, when I see Jesus hanging on the cross, Jesus is someone that I have come to love deeply. He forgave my sin. He changed my life. And so I love him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when I see Jesus hanging on the cross, I don't want him to forgive the people who put him there. I want him to dole out some justice. I want him to pour out God's wrath on those people for what they have done to the Son of God. Since Jesus and I are at odds in this passage about how he should respond. I think it's important for me to ask the question, what does Jesus know that I don't know? Because it's very clear that Jesus and I have different perspectives on this situation. I have a way that I want the story to play out, but Jesus plays the story out a different way. He says, Father, forgive them. So I want to know, what does Jesus know in this situation that I don't know? What's going through his heart and his mind in these moments that's making him respond the way that he is responding? And I think the answer is found in the fact that Jesus, when he's in this situation, doesn't see the cross as a place where we pour out God's wrath or judge all of humanity or put people in their place or even administer justice. Jesus doesn't see the cross that way. He sees the cross as a place where the culture of grace and forgiveness begins to make its way from the cross out into the world. See, Jesus is not on the cross because he wants to judge everybody and put everybody in their place and because he wants to dole out some justice. Jesus is hanging on the cross because he wants this world to be overwhelmed with grace and with forgiveness. That's why he's hanging On the cross, which is why when he's hanging there, he says, Father, forgive them. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that this is what Jesus wants to do on the cross, because very early in his ministry, back in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus starts to teach his disciples about the importance of forgiveness, He does this when the disciples say, Lord, can you teach us how to pray? And Jesus teaches them how to pray. Pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And then in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, forgive us our debts or our trespasses or our sins, depending on whatever version you use. As we forgive our debtors, as we forgive those who trespass against us, as we forgive those who sin against us. And then right after he teaches them to pray, he says, for if you forgive others their sins, then your heavenly father will forgive your sins. But if you don't forgive their sins, then your sins won't be forgiven. Very early in Jesus' ministry, he was teaching his disciples about how he wanted his people to reflect a culture of grace and forgiveness. And between the story in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray and when Jesus forgives the people who put him on the cross, there's this story in Matthew 18 that Dave read for us just a few moments ago. A parable. A story that Jesus uses to illustrate important truths that we must understand in our lives. The parable is pretty simple to understand, but it has profound implications for us as followers Of Jesus Christ. This story that Jesus tells has three characters. The first character is the king who comes, the king or master who comes to settle accounts. The second character is a servant who owes the king a lot of money. We'll call this servant servant number one. In fact, the passage says that he owed 10,000 talents. One translation says he owed 10,000 bags of gold. The point is not finding the exact dollar amount that we would attach to this, but if we were translating it to today's money, we would say this servant owed billions of dollars. The point of Jesus setting up servant one with this kind of debt is that he wanted us to know that there is no human way possible servant one could pay the debt that he owed. So just put yourself in servant one's place for a minute. You owe an amount of money. The credit cards have gotten out of control. The mortgage is overwhelming. You are buried in debt and you can't get out. You could work every minute of every day for the rest of your life and it still wouldn't be enough. In essence, you need a miracle. And you go before the king, the one to whom you owe all of this money. All of this debt is rightfully needed to be paid to the king, the master. And you bow down before him, and you say, please be patient with me, I will pay it all. Now, not to mention, you need two lifetimes to pay it all, but just be patient with me. That's what servant one says. And the king, in this amazing, miraculous moment, just wipes the debt away. An unpayable debt that servant one could never pay. No matter how much time they put in working and how much money they saved and how much they scrimped and pulled resources together, they could never, ever, ever pay this debt. And in that moment, the king just says, It's gone. The book has been wiped clean. This is amazing. Servant one gets up and instead of being thrown into prison until he can pay the debt, he gets to go free with no debt on the books anymore. As he's leaving the presence of the king who's just forgiven an unpayable debt, he runs into a fellow servant. This is the third character in the story and we'll call this servant, servant number two. Servant number two owes servant number one a small amount of money. If we were to actually compare the amount of money that servant two owed to servant one versus the amount of money that servant one owed to the king, the amount that servant one owed to the king is 600,000 times what servant two owes to servant one. It's just a small pittance compared to what's just been forgiven servant one. And what does servant one do to servant number two? <laughs> Chokes him. <laughs> pay up, I need the money. Actually, servant one doesn't need the money anymore. Servant one has just been forgiven an unpayable debt. Servant one is now free of all of his obligations. Servant one has just experienced great generosity. And what does servant one do in response to the generosity that he has received? He decides to be greedy and stingy. And instead of extending grace to servant two, the grace that had been so graciously extended to him, he decides to hold servant two accountable. Now Jesus is telling this story for a very specific point. We know this because at the end of the story, Jesus tailors it to kind of drive home the point with this question. Shouldn't you have mercy on others in the way that I've had mercy On you. That's the point Jesus is making, which is why in the story, when the king finds out that servant one hasn't been generous and gracious to servant two, the king reverses his stance, changes his mind. Servant one, get back in here. You're going to jail now. Because I gave you grace and you couldn't extend grace. I was generous and you decided to be greedy. I forgave you, but you decided to be stingy. And so the king reverses course, and then Jesus drives it home with this question. Shouldn't you have mercy on others just like I had mercy on you? Now, there are maybe several things we could learn from this story, but I want to just point out two of them. First, you can be forgiven. You can. Can be forgiven. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is revealing to us something about the kingdom of God in this story. In fact, that's why he begins the story by saying the kingdom of heaven is like, right? In fact, Jesus begins most of his parables with that same phrase because he's telling stories to reveal to us the truths of the kingdom of God. He wants us to understand that however the world lives their lives, that's, that's, Up to the world. But inside the kingdom of God, we're to live our lives a certain way. And so Jesus tells stories over and over and over again to reveal to us what life in the kingdom is like. And this story is no different. The kingdom of heaven is like, and then he tells this story. And what's he communicating to us? He wants us to know, first and foremost, that we all have unpayable debts. We all have unpayable debts when we talk about getting right with God, when we talk about our lives in its, in its sin and its brokenness and somehow trying to reconcile that to a holy God, listen, you and I have a debt that we cannot pay. We can't make ourselves right with God. It doesn't matter how good you become or how many charities you give to or how many good deeds that you do or how much you organize your life and try to live it on the straight and narrow. If you are trying to do it in your own strength, you can't make your life right with God. It is an unpayable debt. You find yourself, as Romans says, falling short of the glory of God because of the sinful condition of humanity in our normal state. It's an unpayable debt. We can't fix it. But Jesus tells this story to remind us that when we have an unpayable debt, what we do is fall before the master. We fall before our king and we say, please be patient with us. And the king says, oh, no need for me to be patient. I'll just forgive the debt. That's what the king does. And Jesus is revealing to us something about the very heart of God as he tells this story. That when we find ourselves in a place where because of sin, because of the decisions we've made, because of the way that we have lived our lives outside of God's will and plan for our existence on planet earth, when we find ourselves in that situation and we can't reconcile ourselves to God, it's okay because God does it for you. You can be forgiven. And some of you need to hear that today. Some of you need to be reminded that you used to have an unpayable debt and God forgave it. And for some of you, it's been so long since that happened that it's kind of just become normal in your life that God performed a miracle and saved your soul and you didn't deserve it, and you didn't earn it. He just gave it to you because he loves you. Some of you need to be reminded of that today. Some of you are in this room, and you have never, never asked the king to forgive your unpayable debt. Maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe you're in church for the very first time today. I don't know, but but maybe you're here in this room and as you hear this message, you realize that there's things in your life that do not line up with God's plan. You find yourself separate from God and distant from him and you have a debt that you cannot pay today. I just want you to know the king forgives unpayable debts. All you gotta do is ask him and he would love nothing more. Than to forgive your dead and reconcile you to Himself. Some of you are here and you've been walking with Jesus, but particularly in these last few months, you have found yourself maybe, maybe there are things in your life over the last few months that you thought you had victory over. But as we've walked through this weird, crazy season that we've been in, you have found yourself with those sins crawling back into your life. And you're here today and you look the part. You're, you're putting on the face or the mask, whatever it is today. And you're hiding behind it. No one around you knows that those sins have crawled back into your life, but they have. And today you find yourself carrying the weight of a debt that you can't pay. You don't even know how to get out from underneath of it. Some of you thought you had victory over those images that you look at on your computer. You thought you had won that battle. And then over the last few months, somehow that battle has crept right back into your life. And now you're under the weight of that sin again. And you don't know how to get out. And you don't know how to to pay the debt. I just want you to know today, God forgives unpayable debts all you got to do is ask him he is a gracious God he is a gracious God that is his character that's his nature that's his desire you can be forgiven second lesson though this is the harder one the first one sounds great You can be forgiven. Second lesson from this parable, though, is that forgiven people must be forgiving. Forgiven people must be forgiving. This parable is told in response to a question that's asked by Peter. Peter says, "Uh, Jesus, question for you. Uh, How many times should I forgive when someone sins against me? Seven times? Now, You can't miss this because the standard teaching of the day, if you were to go to any rabbi of the day and say, how many times should I forgive? They would give you a standard answer. Three times. It's a nice, perfect number. Three, right? It's a good biblical number. And that's what the standard teaching of the day was. If someone sins against you, you should forgive them three times. If they sin against you the fourth, well, too bad. Peter wants to impress Jesus. Jesus, should I forgive seven times? Right, Peter's saying, I want to be a little more spiritual than the normal teaching of the day. I want to forgive seven times. And what does Jesus say? In the English Standard Version, it says 77 times. In some translations, it says 70 times seven. The point is not whether it's 77 or 490. The point is Jesus is trying to communicate to Peter, if you're counting, you've missed the point. You don't forgive up to three or up to seven or up to 490. You keep on forgiving again and again and again and again. And you never stop forgiving. Why? Because you've been forgiven an unpayable debt. If you are in the kingdom of God, there was a debt that you could not pay, and God graciously and miraculously forgave it. He wiped the slate clean. So when you turn and look at anyone who sins against you in any way, shape, or form, your only response is forgiveness. You don't get to choose. I'm going to forgive this person, but I'm not going to forgive this one. That's not your choice anymore. If you're in the kingdom of God, the whole point is to create a culture of forgiveness and grace in our world. And if we don't lead the way on this, those of us who have been forgiven unpayable debts, how in the world can we ever expect the world to understand? We have to set an example. We have to be forgiving people. Now, I don't have to tell you this is a hard, hard teaching but it's not just the teaching of Jesus. It's found all throughout the New Testament. In fact, if you look at the teaching of Paul in Colossians chapter three, listen to these verses. Colossians chapter three, and I'm gonna begin reading in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Don't don't miss the, the fact that this is in command language. This isn't, so forgive if you want to, or if you feel like it's like a nice thing to do, go ahead and forgive them. No, you must forgive. This is a hard teaching, right? I mean, because sometimes people do things against us, and it hurts. Sometimes people do things against us, and we don't want Jesus to forgive them. If we're honest, we want Jesus to get them, right? Has anyone else prayed prayers like this? Or is it just me? Right? There are times when people do things against us and we, want, we don't want grace. We want revenge. We don't, we don't want forgiveness for them. We want them to get what they've got coming to them. As Christians, we don't believe in karma, but sometimes we want to. Right? Right? But this teaching of scripture while it is hard it is the teaching of scripture. And we either are Christians or we're not. Right Christianity is not just about something that happens in your heart it's about the way you live your life. And so we either line up with the book or we don't. And the book says we must forgive. You see, the world looks at this idea and they say, well, that's the way of fools. Why would you keep forgiving someone who wrongs you? Why would you keep forgiving someone who sins against you? The reason that we do it is not because, it's not because we think it's a good idea, it's because Jesus says that's what we're supposed to do. You see, to the world, that's the way of fools, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the way of Jesus. And if we love Jesus, we will obey his teachings. That's what Jesus said. People who have been forgiven, they must be forgiving. This is a hard, hard teaching. But this is one that I think we need to hear inside of the church. And it's one that our world needs to see demonstrated today. Because it's only when a culture of forgiveness and grace has been established in the church that flows out into our community and out into our world can the world see that the work of Jesus is reconciliation. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come to judge or condemn the world. He didn't come to put the world in its place. He came to forgive Right? That's what John three sixteen and 17 teaches us. He did not come into this world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. This is the work of Jesus. And it all begins at the cross. Paul teaches us this, uh, not just in Colossians, but in Ephesians, the, again, the passage that Dave read for us. Listen to it again. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What's what's Paul talking about in Ephesians? He's talking about two groups of people inside of the church, the Jews and the Gentiles, who all had come to faith in Jesus Christ, and they each kind of had their own way of approaching Christian faith. And what Paul is saying is, those who are far away, the Gentiles, have now been brought near, and they are now one body with the Jews which was astounding for people of that day to even think about. But that's what Jesus did. Why? Because Jesus' whole mission was reconciliation. Not just reconciling people to the Father, but reconciling people to each other. And our world needs to hear this today. Our world needs to hear this. What does it mean for us to be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another? And yet, what happens when the world looks at the church? I'm not talking about our church, no, I'm talking about the church. When the world looks at the church, you know what they see? They see infighting. They see bitterness. They see anger. They see one Christian brother or sister shaming another Christian brother or sister on social media because that's the cool thing to do. And there's attacks, and then there's attack backs. And it just keeps escalating. There are people sitting in this room, likely in a group this size, and there might be someone else sitting in the same room that you have something against. And you've just decided that when you see them, you won't make eye contact, you won't say anything, you'll just go on your way. Instead of doing the Christian thing, which is to reconcile. To sit down and say, you know what? When you did this, it offended me. Or when I did this, I think I offended you. And however we see this issue, it's more important for us to be reconciled to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ than it is for us to hold on to these things that divide us. Because the world is depending on us to show them the way in reconciliation. We have to actually live out our faith, or our faith doesn't mean anything, right? Faith without works, it is dead. We have to live out our faith. So the great news today is that you can be forgiven. The hard news today is that if you've been forgiven, you've got to forgive. Not because, not because what they did to you doesn't matter, not because it didn't hurt, not because you're not angry or you don't want to get revenge. You forgive because God forgave you and Jesus commands that you should forgive. That's why we do it. And when we do it, we unleash the culture of grace and forgiveness that Jesus hung on the cross to establish in our world today. That's why we do it. So in just a little bit, we're going to celebrate communion, which is perfect for us today as we think about a way to respond to the word of God. How how better could we respond to a message about the culture of grace than to come and receive grace in the elements of communion? But before we do that, I want you to prepare your hearts and your minds, and to help you do that, I want to ask you two questions today. And so here's what I want to ask you to do, even though this might seem weird uh, or strange, but we're going to take a few minutes here, and I want you to just bow your heads and kind of kind of just get a space around you that is just you and the Lord in this moment, because I really do want you to, to examine your heart and your mind. So head, heads bowed, eyes closed. Nobody looking around and nobody distracting anyone else around you. Kids, during these next few moments, just be very, very conscious of the fact that we are trying to pay attention to the Lord in these moments. And as you are there reflecting this morning, I want to just ask you to first and foremost think about this question. Where do you need God's grace in your life Today, where do you need God's grace in your life today? Maybe you're one of the people who's here in this room and you've never been reconciled to God. You've never asked God's grace to wash over your life and make you right with God, but today you want to. Or maybe you're one of the people, you've been walking with God for a long time, but some of those sins have creeped back into your life and you're carrying that, and maybe no one knows. But today you say, you know what? I need God's grace again in my life today. Just take a moment and let the Holy Spirit speak. just remind you this morning that whatever the holy spirit's saying to you right now god forgives that he always 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 forgives his grace never runs out so receive god's grace today Second question I want you to think about this morning is this one. Who do you need to forgive? It might be a minor offense. Maybe you're mad with someone because they didn't acknowledge you when they saw you in the store. They didn't wave at you when they passed you on the street and, and you're holding that against them. Maybe it's a relationship that's been fractured or torn apart because of actions perpetrated by one person against another and you're carrying that today. Maybe it's an act that was done against you. Maybe maybe, a really bad act that was done against you, abuse of some sort or another, and you're carrying that today. Maybe it was a decision that a board or a committee made or a supervisor at work and you felt that you were treated unjustly and you've been harboring bitterness and anger and resentment in your heart. Who do you need to forgive today? Let the Holy Spirit bring their face and their name to your mind. And as you see that face and think of that name identify what they did and then let the Holy Spirit guide you and instruct you as to what you are to do next to extend grace and forgiveness to that person maybe it's a coffee meeting maybe it's a letter that you write maybe it's a phone call what is it? that you need to do to forgive that person. Now, before we head into communion with still no one looking around, I want to ask you to do one more thing which will require a little bit of courage and boldness. If you're here today and you need God's grace in some area of your life, I just want to invite you right where you're at to just stand up. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out. I'm not going to say anything about you from the front. I just want you to stand if you find yourself today needing God's grace in your life. You are working in this moment. I pray for every person that is standing right now. That in this very moment, they would sense the Father's heart of love and grace for each and every one of us. For while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. And because of that, we have access to grace today. Please pour out your grace in powerful and tangible and real ways in everyone who is standing right now. Let their lives feel your grace and your love and we thank you you can be seated and then one more thing before we go to communion because there are some of you in this room and you need to forgive And God's made that clear to you this morning and I want to ask you to do what I just asked those in need of grace to do. I want to ask you to take a bold move to just stand and say, God, you have spoken to me and I am standing to let you know that I've heard your voice and I will be obedient. I will take the steps you've asked me to take. So if you need to forgive someone today, would you stand? there are people all across this room standing. God, would you help us to be a church that doesn't just go to you to get something from you, but may we be a church that's actually becoming like you. You are a God of grace, and we should be a people of grace. So would you give us courage and wisdom and strength and the power of your Holy Spirit to go and forgive those who have sinned against us so that we're not just reconciled to you, but we're reconciled to one another and living as the community that you want us to be. God, please, please, for your glory, do that work, and we will give you the thanks.